0: Morning, and turn to Matthew chapter 9, please. The Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 9. I'm just going to read three verses this morning for our text. I'll give you a chance to get there. Matthew chapter 9. And I want to direct your attention to verse 32. The Bible says, As they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with the devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake. And the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casteth out devils through the prince of devils. We're going to stop right there. And we're going to work through these few verses and this morning. And we're going to talk about the healing of this dumb man, but we're going to, we're going to exalt Jesus Christ. We're going to point to Him this morning. Amen? Uh, which is what we ought to do. Uh, as we begin here, though, let me first tell you that the Gospel of Matthew uh, presents to us Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the chosen of God. The book was primarily written uh, to Jewish people, and so the things that Matthew records, the content is not insignificant at all. It's, it's very purposeful, and the way that Matthew presents Jesus Christ in the things that he did, <coughs> excuse me, the miracles that he performed, they were intended to be clear demonstrations of the power of Jesus Christ over nature and even over the spirit world. Now, the Jews were religious people. The Jews believed in God, but the Jews rejected Jesus Christ as God, as the chosen of God. And so the content of Matthew is very purposeful in highlighting and presenting Jesus Christ in a way that only God could do these things to prove who Jesus Christ was. That's what we have before us today in this passage, a demonstration of the fact that there is no power on earth or in heaven that is greater than Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us of the miracle that Jesus performed of healing a dumb man so he could speak, but it also tells us that Jesus cast out a demon out of this man. And Jesus has power even over the spirit world. Excuse me. I want you to consider with me, just by way of introduction this morning before we get to our outline, I want you to consider the reality of the spirit world for a minute. Why should we believe something like that exists, the reality of a spirit world? I cannot see it with my eyes, so why should I believe that it exists? I mean, I've never seen a demon. What is a demon? Well, a demon is a fallen angel who followed Lucifer when Lucifer lifted up himself in pride and said, I want to be... Like the Most High, God cast him out of the heavens, and all those that followed after him, those fallen angels, are demons. I've never seen one with my eyes. I've never seen Satan with my eyes. Nor have I seen an angel, a messenger of God. At least to my knowledge, it's possible I have, but to my knowledge I never have. So why should we believe such a thing exists? So when we're reading this passage of Scripture, the Bible just says when the, that, that they brought to him a man who was dumb, and he was possessed with the devil. And then it just says, and when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake. It tells us something about Jesus Christ, and we're going to go there in just a little bit. But it, clearly it says there was a devil, a demon, In this man. Why should we believe such a thing exists? Well, first of all, because the Bible says so. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Excuse me, Ephesians chapter 6. And I want you to look in verse 12. Ephesians 6 and verse 12. The Bible says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And Paul is talking to the believers at the church at Ephesus, and he says, your, your battles are really spiritual battles. They're not physical ones. And he says, you need to protect yourself. And so in that context, he says, take unto you the whole armor of God. Here's how you protect yourself, because we wrestle against spiritual wickedness in high places these principalities these powers these rulers of the darkness of this world is all satan's domain it's satan's hierarchy it's his rank and order that paul is talking about in ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2 look there please ephesians 2 and verse 2 the Bible says in verse 1, "...and you hath he quickened..." So again, Paul's writing to these believers in this church at Ephesus, and he says, "...you hath he quickened..." The word quickened means made alive. So he's, like, he's made you alive. God has made you alive. "...who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past, in your former life, he says you walked or lived according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air..." That's the devil, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. This world currently is Satan's domain. It's a spiritual kingdom of his, too, as well, that, that, that he works in. And the Bible tells us that before we're saved, we're dead in trespasses and sins. And the way that we lived our physical life was actually according to the prince of the power of the air. You thought you were in control, but not really. This world is controlled and manipulated, and in people uh, who who want power and who want you know authority, and they they want to rule things. They're actually being used, to be honest, to try to bring about uh, the will of the prince of the power of the air. Now look in First Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five in verse 8 I'm just going to highlight a couple of verses of scripture here because there's many many more But the bible says in 1 Peter 5:8 be sober be vigilant because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour the the devil is the enemy or the adversary of the christian and the Bible likens him to a roaring lion who walks about seeking whom he may devour. What, which, which, which uh, kind, or which, uh, uh, what is the character or the nature of the kind that the that the that a lion looks to devour? Does he look to go after the strong one of the herd of the pack, or does he look for the weak one, the straggler on the side, right, the helpless one, the easy prey? Well, he says you need to be on guard. You need to be vigilant and sober. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, is looking to destroy you and devour you. It tells us the reality of the spiritual world, the spirit world. So the Bible tells us it's so. Another thing, another factor in this is that the culture has a fascination with the spirit world. Why do I say that? Well, you know, and you can look at Hollywood movies, you can look at TV, You can, especially around this time of year. Halloween's coming around, right? And the programming on television is all about the, the spooky and the scary and the, and the horror and, and so on. And there's TV shows uh, out there like Lucifer, the fallen angel, that's what it's called, Lucifer about Satan and his kingdom and so on. And, and, and the culture is fascinated with it. Why is that? Well, I don't know exactly, but I have an idea that it's inspired by Satan himself. And the reason for that is to draw away people from the message of Jesus Christ. Satan inspires false gospels, the Bible says. Satan inspires false religion and those who preach it to deceive people and keep mankind from truly coming to know the one true God. Satan does not want people to give glory to God. What I'm saying essentially is this. The Bible tells us there is a demonic world. I can't prove it because I've never seen one. Although I will tell you this, I have been witness to some things that would tell me I have seen the influence of demons before. There was one time I was out on visitation, doing door-to-door visitation, many years ago. I came to this apartment building, and we got into the building, and we were just going floor by floor, knocking on doors, trying to tell people about Jesus Christ. And I've been in that building for a little while, and I came to this door, and I knocked on the door, just like I had all the other ones, and after a little while, like nothing happened, nobody answered the door, so I just politely knocked again just to give it one more chance, and all of a sudden the door starts to open, and what I see is this woman who seems to be pretty frail, uh, skin and bones. You know, I'm not really sure what's going on, but I, I want to give her the gospel. And she just sort of peeks open the door from behind it. It's, it and, and I start to talk to her, and pretty soon she starts to open up the door a little bit more and so on. And finally the door is open, and what I see is it's all dark in her apartment, in her room. And I'm standing out in the hallway, but I can see in. And there's a light switch that's right here on the, on the wall, and it's covered in black tape. And I noticed there's an outlet on the wall. It's all covered over in black tape. And you can see that it's, it's, it's dark, but the light from the hallway is kind of shining in. And you can just see that that inside is dark and all the outlets and all the light switches, they're all covered over with tape. And I asked her about it and she told me, and she said she said it's, it's uh, to keep the spirits out uh, of, of her apartment and so on. Well, then I began to try to to give her the gospel. And I'm telling you friends, as the Lord is my witness in this, the moment that I mention the name Jesus Christ, all of a sudden this woman's head goes back, her eyes roll up in the back of her head, and she starts chanting and mumbling and doing all kinds of weird and crazy things. The moment I mention the name of Jesus Christ. Scary. Never had that experience before. I don't know exactly what's going on, but I kind of suspect that there was already some demonic presence, or influence in her life. What I'm saying is, the Word of God tells us that the spirit world exists. There's a fascination with it in the culture. I think it's the devil himself trying to draw people away from the truth of Jesus Christ. The devil hates the Lord, hates Jesus Christ. And we need to accept the scriptures, what the scriptures teach concerning it, and believe that it's true. And so when we read in our passage of scripture that there's a casting out of demons by the Lord, it's not a fairy tale, it's not a dream, it's not a fantasy. It points to Jesus Christ as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and there is no power in heaven or earth greater than Jesus Christ. Amen. So go back to our text in Matthew chapter 9. And I want to show you some things from this account of the Lord Jesus Christ and this miracle that he performs. And I want us to point to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. First of all, I want you to notice with me in our text in verse 32. That there is a request of friends for a miracle. Verse 32 says, As they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with the devil. Here is the request of friends for a miracle. These people came to Jesus Christ on purpose because they recognized that this man had a need. The request of these friends here is 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 shown in verse 32 it says they brought unto Jesus a man that was possessed with the devil and a man that was dumb and as you for chapter 8 and chapter 9 of Matthew something that 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 will come out and and you can go back and read this for yourself or you can take my word for it here but as you read through Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 9, something immediately comes to mind. And what that is, is there was this rapid sequence of Jesus performing miracle after miracle after miracle. Now the other gospels will confirm these other others of these miracles and give some more detail. But Matthew uh, presents it in such a way where it's just rapid fire. Jesus constantly healing people. And you see several miracles that come out. In these two passages, just one after another is brought to Jesus and Jesus heals them. For example, in Matthew chapter 9, you can read that uh, there was a woman who was healed, who had an issue of blood, the Bible says, and, 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 and Jesus healed her. The Lord accomplished that miracle as he was on his way to another place where he was going to perform a miracle. So in the middle of Jesus going to Jairus' house to heal his daughter and raise her up, this other miracle happens. When Jesus left the house of Jairus, you can read about it in this chapter, two blind men follow him. They follow him all the way across the village to another house, and it's in that house that Jesus heals these two blind men. And now we come to our text and we read that as he came out of the house, behold, they brought to him a dumb man and he healed the dumb man who was possessed with a demon. What I'm saying is, it shows for us the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that it's constant and it's one after another. C.H. Spurgeon, he said this, he said, what an inexhaustible source of grace and mercy is the Lord Jesus Christ. He blesses and blesses and blesses. And then after all that is done, there still remains an inexhaustible source of blessing. That's who Jesus Christ is. And so one after another, these people are brought to the Lord He's curing, he's healing, one after another. And what it is, is it's stressing the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to meet every need. Now, I want you to notice the word here, because, and I told you, here was the request of these people for a miracle. The Bible says, They went out, and behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with the devil. These people... I don't know if they were his friends, I don't know who they were exactly, but these people knew that he had a need. The word dumb here in verse 32, it's the Greek word kophos, it means blunted of hearing, so he's deaf, but it also means blunted of speech, so he's dumb, and so the Greek word that is used here to describe this man is a word that's referred to in other contexts as simply dumbness, But it also refers to a man who is deaf and he's dumb. And so what we have in mind here and what we need for the picture is that this man is not simply a mute man who cannot speak. He's a man who is also deaf. And his deafness was caused probably because of the demon that possessed him. And so it seems to imply that he's really a deaf mute, a person who cannot hear. And because, possibly, he's never been able to hear, Therefore, he could not speak. Now, there's a casual relation that Matthew gives us here between the demon and this affliction. And why do I say that? Well, because if you look at verse 33, the Bible says when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake. Meaning that as soon as the devil was gone, his speech was given back to him. And so it seems that here is a man who is possessed of a demon and possessed of a demon in such a way that he was deaf and also dumb. And so these people knew that he had a need and they brought this man who was imprisoned, who was bound by his infirmities to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, everybody understand that? I'm going somewhere with that. Did I bore you with that? So I'm really going somewhere with that. Here was a man who was bound by his infirmities, who was captive, who was imprisoned by these infirmities, and these people brought him to Jesus Christ. Let me make an application here. And the application is this. Lost men, people who are unsaved, are always bound by the power of Satan and the power of sin. It illustrates for us the truth regarding the spiritual condition of each one that enters into this world. Friend, you were born into this world a sinner. You were born into this world imprisoned and bound by the power of Satan. It pictures for us a lost man under the bondage of sin. Did you know, friend, that you were not born into this world as a good person? The world wants to tell you that. We're all good people. We all have this spark of divinity in us. And the reason that there are bad things in this world is because people are in bad situations. And if you just pull them out of their situation and you start to fan that spark of goodness, all of a sudden, those people will start to be good. Because we're all good people. No, no, no. You know that's true just by looking at the world around you. People are not good. Oh, but we like to think of ourselves as good, because I'm not as other men are. I don't do those things like these other people, so therefore I'm pretty good in myself. Come on. That's how people look around. They judge themselves by judging according to other people. That's not the standard of judgment. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says we come forth from the womb speaking lies. Do you know lying is a sin? Do you know lying breaks God's law? Every lie you tell, there's no such thing as a little white lie. Every lie you tell is a violation of God's law. God is truth and in Him is no unrighteousness. The Bible says thou shalt not bear false witness. That's a lie. That's a sin, and it breaks God's law. And you and I come into this world born liars. We come forth from the womb speaking lies. We come into this world condemned already. We don't come into this world with a white, clean slate, and every time we do something bad, all of a sudden we get a black mark on our slate. And some people's slates, man, they're all black because they're all, well, you know what, mine's pretty good. I got some white going on in there somewhere. That's how mankind thinks of himself, though. But not according to God. Not according to the Word of God. Look at Romans chapter 5 with me. Romans chapter 5, and look at verse 12. The Bible says, "...wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world..." And death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Why is there death and dying in this world? Have you ever asked yourself that question or wondered that? Where did death come from? Why, do people, why are people born? Why do they grow? Why do they age? Why do they die? Well, the Bible tells us that sin entered into the world because of Adam's transgression. Adam disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden. And then the Bible tells us that death came into the world because of Adam's sin. And then the Bible tells us that death has passed upon all men. And the reason death exists is because all have sinned. We're all guilty before God. Look at Romans chapter 6, in verse 17. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin... But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. He talks about being the servants of sin. What is a servant? Does a servant have control? Does a servant dictate? No, it doesn't. The master does. So according to this, we are servants of sin. So who's the master in our life? Sin. We're the servants of sin in our natural state. Ephesians chapter 2. We were over there earlier. You can turn there again. Ephesians 2 in verse 2. In verse 1, rather, he says, And you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in what? Trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past, in in your former life, you lived or walked according to the course of this world. You lived or walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. It doesn't seem like you have control at all. You walked according to the prince of the power of the air. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Keep going to the right in your Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth... And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Now, you're not in control at all. You come into this world a servant of sin, speaking lies, violating God's laws. Death came into this world. Death exists because of sin. And death passes upon all men. You're going to die one day because of sin. We're taken captive by Satan at his will. Listen, it's what, what I'm saying is, is, is it, it is what causes people to live in sin and live the way they do. Why do people live the way they do? You look out there in the world and like you're just like there's drug ag- and alcoholism and and abuse and all kinds of terrible things and we like why do people live this way listen listen we can't compare ourselves with them say I'm not as bad as they are I'm a pretty good person no but no you can't do that because because of the fact that that even one sin even one lie violates God's law and it makes us guilty of all of them we're all equal on the same plane we're all guilty before God we're sinners that's what the Bible says. But it does explain for us why people live the way they do. And you know what? There might be people who claim to be good Christians. But if you saw behind the scenes, what you would see is that their lifestyle doesn't evidence Christianity at all. In fact, they're lost they're religious people, but they're lost. And their life bears out the fact that they're lost. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9, Paul is writing to a church a church in Corinth. And if you know anything about the city of Corinth, it, was a, it wasn't a great city. It was a center, a hub of trade. Because of that, it brought in all of these different elements from around the world. And this city was known for its debauchery and so on. Well, people heard the gospel and people got saved because of the gospel. And their life changed. And Paul writes, saying in verse 9, "...know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters..." nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. He's saying, don't you know that people who live this way in these things, they're not saved people. They're not gonna inherit the kingdom of God. And he says in verse 11, and such were some of you. You used to be like that. You used to be a drunkard. You used to be a, a fornicator. You used to be an idolater. You used to be a homosexual. That's what effeminate and abusers of themselves with mankind means. You used to be that. But he says, but, in verse 11, you're washed. You're sanctified. You're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. He says, you used to be this way, but you're not anymore because of Jesus Christ. How many Christian people are out there that say, oh, we're good Christians, we love Jesus, But if you look at this list right here, that's what their life actually looks like behind the scenes. They're not Christian people at all. They're religious people, but they're lost people. And what I'm saying is, lost men are bound by the power of Satan. Their life is lived in such a way because of their nature as sinners, because of the power of Satan and sin. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you claim to be. It doesn't matter if you identify as a Christian. Did your life change? Are you a different person? You can't be a different person when you're lost because you're under the bondage of sin. You've got to be set free. And we look in our text, and we find that these people saw that this man had a need, and they brought him to Jesus. And it leads to this next thought that lost men must also come into the presence of Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can make the difference in a person's life. John chapter 14 and verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Let me tell you, salvation... Forgiveness of sins, a right relationship with God. It's not about communion. It's not about confirmation. It's not about catechisms. It's not about baptisms. It's not about religious works. You cannot free yourself from the bondage of sin. You've got to come into the presence of Jesus Christ. Religious works actually bring people more into bondage. I have some friends of mine, they're very religious people and they, they think they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They think, they think that they're, they're good, they're, they're going to go to heaven. They do all the religious things. They go to their mass and they do this and they do that and they've got all the things that they do and they feel like somehow those are the things that merit favor with God. And I can't get through with the fact that nothing you can do will save your soul and nothing you can do will give you favor with God. We are condemned before God. The only thing that will actually rid you of the penalty of sin is faith in Jesus Christ, the blood that he shed for your soul. That is the only thing that will wash away your sin. You cannot do enough good things to merit favor with God. There are religions that teach, well, you have to go to church on this day and you have to do this and you have to do these things and do, 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 do! There's nothing you can do. The only thing that can be done is to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that's through repentance toward God, repenting of your religion, your way of thinking, Repenting of your life and your sin, repentance toward God, it's an offense to Him. I'm sorry, God, and then putting your faith in what Jesus Christ has done. What did He do? He gave His life. He shed His blood. Religion and works actually brings us into more bondage. Paul said that to the Hebrews. He said it in Romans and he said it in Galatians. He said it's not of works of righteousness which we have done. And there were these religious people who thought that keeping the law and doing the the law of Moses and religiously doing all of these things ritualistically is what gave them favor with God. And he says no flesh can be justified in the sight of God through the works of the law. My friend, it's a relationship with Jesus Christ entered into through faith and repentance that brings about forgiveness of sins, not religious works. If we go back to our text in Matthew 9, please. The Bible tells us these people, maybe they were friends of this man. They knew that he had a need. He was possessed of a devil. He was dumb. He was mute. He, he was deaf. couldn't hear. They saw that this man had a need and they brought him to Jesus. And it pictures for us our condition as sinful people under the bondage of sin. And the only thing that will set us free is coming into the presence of Christ. (coughs) Tune in near the radio station. Look at verse 33 with me. I want you to see the result of the miracle. Verse 33, And when the devil was cast out, The dumb spake, and the multitudes marveled, saying it was never so seen in Israel. Notice here that the result of the miracle was that the demon was cast out. Simple phrase. When the devil was cast out. That's all it says. When the devil was cast out. Wow. If we just take that on the surface, it's just a simple phrase, but it's loaded Loaded full of meaning because it suggests the fact that there is power in Jesus Christ and with just simple ease, he cast out the devil. When the devil was cast out, wasn't a problem for Jesus Christ, amen? It wasn't a hard thing for him at all. You know what the Bible tells us if you read in the other Gospels, whenever demons or devils came into the presence of Jesus Christ, they always trembled and they always bowed before him. Satan's power that controls you, because remember, we walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. We're not in control in our natural state. The power of Satan that controls you is no match for the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ converts a soul. He changes it around to something totally different. Look at a couple passages with me. Acts chapter 26. Go over there. Acts chapter 26. In the context here, the Apostle Paul is giving his testimony. He's standing before Agrippa, and he's telling how he was converted to Jesus Christ. He used to be a religious man, a zealous man in the Jews' religion, even persecuting Christians, thinking that they were blasphemers of God. But he was converted himself. And he says in verse 14, And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose to make thee a minister and a witness both, both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I will appear unto thee. And notice this, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Paul says, Jesus saved me for this purpose, to go tell people about him and and about Jesus Christ and his power to turn them from darkness to light and his power to deliver them from the power of Satan unto God so that they can receive the forgiveness of sins. The point is, Satan's power is no match for the power of Jesus Christ. The phrase, when the demon was cast out, it suggests to us the power of Jesus Christ with ease over the spirit world. But it also suggests to us his readiness to heal. The Bible says when the demon was cast out. It suggests to us the readiness of the Lord to heal. Do you know what? God is waiting and ready to heal you of your infirmity called sin In Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, the Bible says, God says, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. He's ready and willing. He's broken the power of Satan with ease. He's ready to heal your soul from your sin. But he's waiting for you to respond to him. In our text, in Matthew chapter 9, in verse 33, the Bible also tells us not only was the demon cast out, but it tells us that the man spoke. Matthew chapter 9, in verse 33, again, And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake. All of a sudden, this man's tongue was loosed, and he was free. When the demon was gone, he was set free from his bondage. I don't know what he said, but I imagine that he was praising God first and foremost. That's probably the very first thing that he said was praise to the Lord. How did he even know how to speak? Though? He couldn't hear. He was deaf, and therefore he could not speak. It's possible that his ability to speak was just a miracle in and of itself. And the application that I want to make out of this is it pictures for us what happens when a person genuinely gets saved. They're not free, they're, 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 they're not the same anymore. They're set free from their bondage of sin and it leads to a change in the way that they live. We, we we're making the application, this man was was in bondage to, to the devil and to the fact that he was dumb, he had no power. It pictures for us our situation in our sin, we're under the bondage of sin and we're gonna die and then Jesus comes along and he heals him and he sets him free and he's a different person. It also pictures for us what happens when a person and truly get saved romans chapter 6 in verse 17 says but god be thanked that ye were the servants of sin but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you being then made free from sin you become the servants of righteousness ephesians 2 we were there it says you were dead In trespasses and sins. And you used to walk according to the prince of the power of the air, but now you're alive in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5 8 For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord, walk as children of light. What I'm saying is a changed life is the result of coming into the presence of Jesus Christ. A changed life is a mark of a saved person. A changed life is evidence that something has happened. And there's lots, and what I'm saying is there's a lot of people who say that they're Christians, but their life has never ever been different and never changed. I know what I was before I was saved. I was a terrible person. All kinds of vice and sin in my life. Hater of God. But when God in His mercy saved my soul, He completely transformed and changed. Who I was. All of the desires on the inside, He changed them all and they work out on the outside. I don't do the things I used to do anymore. And every saved person will have the very same testimony. I'm not the same person that I used to be. Go back to Matthew chapter 9 and look at verse, the second part of verse 33 and into verse 34. The result of the miracle was that the devil was cast out And that this man spake. And the Bible then says, And the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casteth out devils through the prince of devils. Here's the reaction to the miracle. There are some people who marveled. Verse 33 says that. They marveled at what was done. They marveled at the change in this man. They said it was never so seen in Israel. So you know what that's true when a person gets truly saved people marvel at the change in your life mm-hmm. second corinthians five seventeen: if any man be in christ he's a new creature old things are passed away behold all things are become new i remember when i first got saved all of my old friends high school friends etc cetera, etc cetera, anytime we'd be around them like we weren't the same anymore and one time there was a friend who said you know something different about you. You're not the same guy you used to be. And I said, you know what? I'm not the same guy. Let me tell you why. And it wasn't long and didn't have those same friends anymore. They didn't want to be around me because I was a different person. They didn't want to do the same old things anymore. The people marveled at the change in this man. But then there were those who criticized. Verse 34 says the Pharisees Those are the religious leaders. They said, he casteth out devils through the prince of devils. What they were doing was they were casting the Holy One, Jesus Christ, as a sinner. What blasphemy here. There was no voice to praise God for the fact that this man was healed, that a devil was cast out of him, that he could now speak. The only thing that they could do was criticize Jesus because of their pride, and because he was stealing the attention that they wanted for themselves. But so often that's the case when people truly get saved. They go to share their faith with others. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's other, quote, Christian friends. And instead of finding joy and thankfulness to the Lord, what they find is criticism and disillusionment. What does that tell you? Here's religious people who should be glorifying God, but they said, oh, Jesus does that because of the power of devils. Well, Jesus said that's not possible. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 35, Jesus says, For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. What's the reason for that? Well, the reason for that is because those people themselves are still in bondage to their own sin, but they cannot see it. And a person who gets truly saved and their life changes, and they tell other people about it, and these people have a negative reaction instead of praising God, it's shining light in their own life and they don't like it. they're still into the bondage of their own sin I want you to notice one other thing and I'll be done here there's a great diversity in this chapter we we talked about all the different miracles that Jesus performed one right after another in succession there was a woman with the issue of blood there was Jairus daughter that Jesus raised there was the two blind men that Jesus healed here was this man who was mute and deaf who had a devil. There's a diversity of needs for those who come to Jesus Christ. Jairus, the ruler, came and asked that Jesus would touch his daughter. The woman with the issue of blood, she sneaks up behind Jesus and she reaches out her hand to touch the hem of his garment. She didn't want any attention on herself. The blind man stand before him, pleading and calling out constantly, constantly, that the Lord would help them. They said, Thou Son of David, have mercy on us. They're crying out for everyone to hear. And then there's this dumb man who stands mute and passively before him. And the Lord Jesus Christ performs what was necessary to heal him in each case. What I'm saying is, there's many different stories and backgrounds that people have, your story is different than mine. You might be here today and you might think, well, mine's a unique case. Well, yours might be a unique case, but that doesn't matter to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's got the power to meet every need. We have different stories. You've got different backgrounds. You've come from different places. But I'm telling you, there's only one savior. There's only one cure for the sin sick soul. There's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus Christ. It's not your religion. It's not your good works. It's a relationship with him. And the question is, do you need him today? Do you need to come to Jesus Christ? Repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. Are you truly saved? Are your sins forgiven? Does God know you as his child? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would use the word today to draw men to Jesus Christ, to speak to hearts. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet, please, heads bowed and eyes closed.